everyone, and welcome to the 49ers Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Al Moriello, and this is a special Monday edition of the podcast. Uh, and I may switch it up from Monday to Tuesday and vice versa every once in a while, mainly this week because of the NCAA tournament playing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I wanted to add some plus section content. Today, after we talk Niners, given how timely the tournament is, but we will be talking today about 49ers signings and losses from the past couple days, where they stand from a salary cap perspective, what free agent defensive tackle Javon Hargrave from the Eagles said about Brock Purdy. We'll take a look at the open roster spots remaining after the first week of free agency, and then like I mentioned... We will dive back into the NCAA tournament. But like always, it starts with the Niners. Let's talk Niners. And let's start off the 49ers section with some transactions. The first being linebacker Demetrius Flanagan Fowles, who was a restricted free agent. He was not tendered by the 49ers, meaning he became an unrestricted free agent. And Flanagan Fowles wound up signing a one-year, $1.885 million deal with $1.25 million guaranteed. Now, since he came into the league as an undrafted free agent signed with San Francisco, he was a converted safety in college, made the transition to linebacker, and has played in a backup capacity, has had a handful of starts during his time with San Francisco. I'm okay with this signing. Again, he's right now the number four linebacker behind Warner, Greenlaw, Burks, and then we would have Fowles, and there are a couple linebackers on the practice squad. It's an inexpensive contract, and they gave him $1.25 million guaranteed, but I was surprised that he re-signed and that this wasn't a position that San Francisco address in the draft maybe multiple times because they can get comparable production for maybe half the price or less. And not that we're, you know, trying to save eight, nine hundred thousand dollars, maybe a million dollars when the salary cap is well over two hundred million dollars, but it's it does matter. I think maybe every million dollar counts, one for this year, but the fact that you can roll over any unused cap into next year. But I guess, you know, that extra million dollars is on a player that's familiar with the system. Is he someone that can maybe take on the Aziz Alshire role? Does he leapfrog linebacker Oren Burks on the depth chart? I think San Francisco still drafts a linebacker, um, but a, a good signing overall. They obviously didn't break the bank from him. They probably would have had to sign him to more, a larger monetary contract if they had tendered him at a certain level. Defensive tackle T.Y. McGill is back also. A rotational piece on the D-line that San Francisco brought in about halfway or three-quarters of the way through the season. Terms were undisclosed, but I think another good signing for the interior of the line. And safety Miles Hartsfield, formerly of the Carolina Panthers, was brought in on a one-year deal. Again, terms Undisclosed, he reunites with former interim head coach and defensive coordinator of the Panthers, Steve Wilkes, who is now the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. I think this is someone that is going to be backing up um, 
Talanoa Hufanga, so I think more of a strong safety than a backup free safety, but three good depth signings that San Francisco made the past couple days. They did lose one player. It was safety Tarvarius Moore, who went to the Packers. Moore was more of really an athlete uh, than a safety. He did deal with uh, injury during his time with San Francisco. He missed a full season. So I don't think that's a, a tremendous loss. And again, I think you know, safety is a position that San Francisco is going to address in the draft, and we'll be talking about that in a few minutes. As of uh, end of day yesterday, Sunday the 19th of March, San Francisco has about $8 million in cap space. I do not know if it includes the three players that they signed, but to get that cap space, they converted $9 million of Debo Samuel's bonus money into a salary and spread that through the 2027 season. So obviously ways to manipulate the cap to free up space to sign not only your own players, but outside free agents as well. And we can see more of that going on. That $8 million would cover the draft class. But again, I think someone like Christian McCaffrey, his contract will be reworked $12 million of just salary this year, next year, and the following year, 2025. There's going to be some sort of guaranteed money, and when that happens, his $12 million number will probably be cut into half or less, so they could free up another $6 million this year if they need it. So one other thing of note, free agent defensive tackle, Javon Hargrave, signed from the Eagles had something interesting to say uh, during his press conference about facing the 49ers once Brock Purdy went out. And here was his direct quote. We kind of knew it was going to be different when all you can do is run the ball. When both quarterbacks are out and you know exactly what they're trying to do, of course it made it a lot easier for us. Trust me, we've seen the film on Brock escaping. We knew it was going to be a challenge trying to get to him. So it would have been difficult, definitely a different game if he had stayed up. So common sense, right? You lose your starter, you lose your backup third and fourth string quarterbacks, respectively. It's a completely different game. Of course, having to hand off repeatedly. And I think what was important about what Hargrave said was we've seen the film on Brock escaping. So being a runner like Trey Lance is not to the level of a Lamar Jackson or a Josh Allen, but just having pocket awareness escape ability to just move around the pocket. And even if he doesn't run past the line of scrimmage, just buying time, sidestepping pressure, getting out of harm's way to keep the play, a play alive, another second, two or three that matters. And that could have tired out the Eagles defensive front. Although they were, they are deep, were deep on the defensive line. So Hargrave echoing something that I think we all knew again, I picked the Eagles to win that game 24 to 20, but it wouldn't have been such a difficult game to watch as the game rolled into the second half. Now, beyond this, let's take a look at the 49ers roster and open roster spots that I believe they still have. Before free agency started, I thought that there were 18 open roster spots on the, when we get down to like a 53 man roster. And I think based on their signings, they're down to about eight or nine 
additional important signings, whether free agents in the next week, two or three or more, or draft picks that San Francisco needs to make. Now, what was open? Quarterback, third quarterback, filled by Sam Darnold. Again, an affordable deal, $4.5 million. If all things go well for the 49ers quarterbacks, he'll see about $3.5 million of that. Not bad if he just holds a clipboard, but better quarterback insurance than what they had, at least in Josh Johnson, toward the uh, last third of last season. I thought there were two tight end spots open on the roster. There still are. They will bring in more than two tight ends to compete during uh, mini camp and training camp, but they've signed none as of right now in free agency, which means they will be definitely drafting one, maybe two, but I still think the drafting one, bringing in a low-priced veteran free agent as time goes on, players will get less expensive after this first wave of free agency is up. And I think there are still some good veteran, even young veteran tight ends. By young, I mean, you know, in the 25 to 28-year-old range that could help this team. Center was a need, but filled by Jake Brendel and his four-year $20 million contract was essentially a two-year $8 million deal. Again, stability on the offensive line and outside of left tackle, center being the most important position. Right tackle with Mike McGlinchey going to Denver. San Francisco re-signs Colton McKivitz to a two-year deal. He is currently slated as the penciled-in starter at right tackle. That does not mean there will not be competition for him because, in my estimation, San Francisco needs to bring in two more offensive linemen that are viable options for the 53-man roster. But again, they will bring in more than that for their 90-man training camp roster. They have not signed an outside offensive lineman. So you have your five penciled-in starters, which are Trent Williams, Aaron Banks, Jake Brendel at center, Spencer Buford at right guard, Colton McKibbitts at right tackle, backups being Jalen Moore and Nick Zakiel. So definitely two more players coming in. Again, whether they're rookies or lower-priced veterans remains to be seen. Defensive ends, I, I thought they needed three more with some of the losses that they had. They signed one, Cleland Farrell, and the deal that came out, I think, is a really good one for both sides. One year, $2.5 million for a former number four pick overall in 2019 when Nick Bosa was, signed, was the number two draft pick that San Francisco signed. They still need two more defensive ends, and again... Is it a one in free agency? And I keep saying, does Jordan Willis come back? Does um, Do they pick somebody up? Does Kerry Hyder come back in free agency? Excuse me, do they pick? They'll definitely, I think, address this need in the draft. They always seem to take a defensive lineman in the draft. There are, you know, again, that website, spotrack.com, and it's not just for football, it's for all sports. There are a lot of free agent defensive ends available. Now, Who's, av who's available currently may not be starting caliber, but San Francisco has three pot three viable starters. Obviously, Bosa, Drake Jackson, last year last year's second round pick, and Cleveland Farrell. You know, I would say untapped potential, maybe a bust so far from the 2019 draft. Went to the Raiders, but again, defensive lineman Chris Korachek, I think can unlock some of that potential with Farrell, and I think there are going to be two more 
legit viable roster making DNs that are going to be coming in. Defensive tackle, there were, I think, two needed, and they filled that with free agent prize Javon Hargrave and recently re signed T.Y. McGill. So, right now, there are six defensive tackles on the roster. Your starters being Hargrave and Eric Armstead. Behind them, you would imagine, is Javon Kinlaw and Kevin Givens. And your third line, T.Y. McGill and rookie Akalia Davis. So, as of right now, you can say it, there isn't a dire need at defensive tackle, but could I see them drafting one? Yes. McGill's on a one-year deal. Javon, um, Javon Kinlaw, if there's the rumors are true that they're looking to trade him, it might not be until after June 1st. And then they could maybe bring in a stout run defender and get this player on a cheap four-year deal. Because at least right now, the earliest that they're going to be drafting, if San Francisco doesn't trade up, is the end of the third round. At linebacker, I figure they had two needs because I think they would carry five on their 53-man active roster when the season starts. They did re-sign Flanagan Fowl, so that gives them four linebackers. So there is, I would say, a mild or a minor need for one linebacker. Maybe it's a draft pick, but I say a minor need because on the practice squad is Curtis Robinson and Marcelino McCrary Ball, who they signed to a one-year deal. Actually, it's not the practice squad anymore. Now they're anybody who was either on the practice squad or the reserve squad is now just part of the roster, the main roster, as teams build that roster up to 90 players. So if the 49ers did not draft a linebacker or sign, again, a low-priced veteran in free agency, they have six on the roster currently. They will bring in more, again, to have competition to give their starters a break during training camp, during preseason games. But I think this position looks pretty good. Cornerback, it was there was a need of one, at least right now, and that was filled by former Falcon Isaiah Oliver, who signed a two-year deal. So that gives the 49ers five corners on the roster. Charvarius Ward, Diamador Lador, the presumptive starters on the outside. Oliver the starter in the slot, and then behind them, it's Samuel Womack, second-year player, and Ambry Thomas, a third-year player. Do I think they're going to devote a draft pick, an undrafted free agent, or again, some sort of free agent down the line to, to the cornerback position? Absolutely. Probably more than one. When it comes to undrafted free agents, they'll probably bring a couple in as well. Free safety, there was an open spot filled by Tashawn Gibson re-signing. Safety and probably strong safety. There were two safety spots available, specifically one at free safety and then one at maybe an interchangeable safety position. That could be former Panther Miles Hartsfield. So there are four safeties on the roster, including Talano Hufunga and George Odom. I, I still think they should use a third round draft pick on a pure free safety to back Gibson up. Again, Gibson's 32 years old, only on a one-year deal. They do need an heir apparent, and the only other position that's open is kicker. They still need one. There was discussion or articles over the weekend that the 49ers were talking with Robbie Gold. So he is still a possibility. There are veteran free agents available, and the draft is obviously a low price, under a million dollar a year option that I just don't know how comfortable Kyle Shanahan is going to be with a rookie, but we shall see. And the last portion 
of the 49ers section are we talked about compensatory picks for the 2023 draft in a month, end of April. San Francisco has about 11 picks. You know, with these eight or nine openings, I think maybe that sounds right. Maybe they use those 11 picks. Maybe they trade up in the draft or trade into next year to make around eight selections. Because if they do not sign any other free agents right now, there are, like I mentioned, eight or nine openings on the the solidified or the important 53-man roster. So we'll be tracking that and obviously any other additions or subtractions that San Francisco or any free agents, unrestricted free agents, that leave the 49ers for other teams in upcoming podcasts. But for 2024, next year, given some of the losses, and this calculation is based on number of losses you had, number of unrestricted free agents you signed, the dollar value... Of the contracts, for instance, they lost, among many other players, Jimmy Garoppolo, but the Javon, the Javon Hargrave signing almost cancels that out, especially from a monetary perspective. But beyond those signings, they do have, it's calculated and estimated that in addition to their normal draft pick allotment, which includes a first and second round pick, the Trey Lance picks are are used up now. We're going to be beyond that once we get to 2024. They will be getting an additional pick at the end of the third, fifth, sixth, and seventh round. So additional ways to restock the roster because obviously San Francisco will be having free agents after the 2023 season. So right now that is the projection for comp picks in 2024. But transitioning from 49er talk now to the NCAA tournament. So we had a bit of an abbreviated 49ers section once we get through that first wave of free agency and San Francisco having limited you know money to to um use I thought this is a good and timely place to talk some NCAA tournament and let's start with the big stuff with where I was wrong so two number one seeds did fall but they were not the teams that I thought. Houston and Alabama, while I still am unsure if either one of these teams are going to make a Final Four or a Final, they did advance to the Sweet 16. It was Blue Blood Kansas who lost to Arkansas, number eight Arkansas in the second round, 72-71, to and number one seed Purdue, we're going to get into this a little bit later, lost to number 16 seed FDU, 63 258 of the number two seeds, Arizona, again, another blue blooded uh, program lost to number 15 Princeton in the first round, 59, 55 more on Princeton to come and number two Marquette, the team that I was not that confident in lost in the second round to number seven, Michigan state 69 to 60. Now the big name teams, or let's say the biggest name teams that are not advancing to the sweet 16, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky. Now, teams that were number five seeds or lower. And Kansas did not advance to the Sweet 16. That is the only the third time that it's happened since 1975, which was the first year that the Sweet 16 was introduced. So now we're going back 48 years. It also happened in 1976, 1979, and pretty recently in 2021. So 16 teams left. I did not do a bracket. I hope your bracket did not 
fare as poorly as a lot of people out there, although FDU, Princeton, Marquette is going to explode a lot of people's brackets, and Kansas obviously getting ousted in the second round to Arkansas. So who are the big-name schools that are left, at least the historic big-name schools? So Michigan State, number seven, is still alive. They will face number three, Kansas State, in the Sweet 16. Number four, UConn, still there, probably had the best first two games, or at least maybe looked the most impressive We'll take on number eight, Arkansas, and number two, UCLA, will face number three, Gonzaga. Now let's get to the upsets, which were exciting to see unless you were a fan of the team that was upset. In the first round, you had number 13, Furman, beating number four, Virginia, 68-67. Relatively close game throughout. A bad Virginia throwaway toward the end of the game. Furman was pressing Virginia the Virginia player basically launched the ball down down court. I guess he thought he could get it past the deepest Furman defender. Did not. Intercepted, passed up ahead. A deep three gives Furman the lead, and Virginia did not hit their final shot. So Furman advanced and lost their second-round game. Princeton beating Arizona, number two Arizona, 59-55. to A back-and-forth game. Uh, Princeton got up by three, 58 to 55 late. Arizona missed two threes that could have tied it. And then a free throw gave Princeton a four point victory. And the biggest of the weekend, number 16 seed FDU beat number one seed Purdue 63 to 58. And for those of you that have been watching, You've heard it all, you know, already before FDU was the shortest team in the NCAA tournament, averaging six foot three. Purdue had the largest player in the tournament, their center, Zach Eady. Even before the, the announcers were saying it, you could see in the second half, Purdue was getting tight. Players were passing up shots. They were airballing shots. They were not, you know, it it is a situation where if you're a number one or number two seed and you don't put the hammer down on who you're playing, whether a number 15 or number 16 seed, and you let them hang around into the second half, mid second half, maybe six or seven minutes remaining in the game, your, their confidence is growing, right? Like you have to knock this team out immediately. You have to get up 15, 20 points in the first half or early in the second half to really close the door on them. Purdue is unfortunately a team that last year lost to St. Peter's in the second round. So they've been ousted by a 16 and a 15 seed in back-to-back years. And for FDU, as I'm sure many of you know, this is a team that should not have been in the tournament anyway because they lost their conference tournament to, I believe the team was Merrimack, but it was a team that jumped from D2 to D1, and there is a four-year grace period where even if you win your conference tournament and that gets you an automatic bid, you cannot make the main 64 or, I guess, 68-team field. So FDU went into their conference championship game knowing that this is a tune-up game. It doesn't matter. Merrimack can't advance. So we're getting in no matter what. They did lose that game, but wound up shocking Purdue and had a second-round game 
against FAU, Florida Atlantic, where they they played Florida Atlantic tight. They got down 10 in the first half, clawed their way back, got it tight, took the lead, was up by five in the second half, ultimately fell to the number nine seed, FAU Owls, 78-70. FDU played hard. They played well. Overall, during the game, they missed about 12 or maybe more layups. Now, not all of them were like layups you would take in practice or if you had a basket in your driveway with nobody guarding you. Some were contested, but, you know, you could say, well, if they made six of those layups, they would have won that game. Well, you know, you really can't say that because what about the easy shots that FAU missed? Credit to FAU for uh, FDU for fighting. Felt and sounded like a home game um, for for FDU. There's a lot of FDU chance. Maybe some of them were FAU. It could, it could sound pretty comparable. But FDU, good showing by New Jersey schools last year, St. Peter's, this year, FDU. And Princeton, who beat Missouri, number seven Missouri, 78 to 63. And they really outplayed Missouri from the tip. Um, Missouri, you know, a, a bigger, stronger team, but Princeton's the type of team, and much like an FDU or a St. Peter's last year, if you don't have the talent, and it's safe to say that FDU, Princeton, St. Peter's, Furman over Virginia, if you don't have the talent that these bigger, better teams have, you have to out execute from the opening tip throughout the rest of the game. You have to hit your shots. You have to get lucky. You have to hope that the team that you're playing maybe gets into foul trouble. It has to be in a way, a perfect storm. Princeton though, if you're, if you win by 15, that's not really a perfect storm. That's outplaying Missouri. But when you watch Princeton play, they are fundamentally sound. They are playing, they are playing basketball and executing as a team in a way, the way that basketball might've looked in like the forties, fifties and sixties. I'm not saying that because Princeton is a, is a predominantly white school, but they don't have players that are going to play hero ball and beat you off the dribble one-on-one or, or cut through your entire team. That could be such a difference maker. This is why the NBA, the teams that are generally in contention are the super teams or the teams that have two dominant players because any one player when you're one of five on the court 20% of your team if you're that much better than either everyone else or just that dynamic and special of a talent you can take over Princeton doesn't have that FDU doesn't have that St. Peter's didn't have that so they need you need contributions from everybody you need to be able to space the floor well in the half court you need to space the floor well to break the press and Princeton had no trouble breaking Missouri's press throughout the game. And Missouri is a, is a pretty aggressive team and a team that presses pretty well. So a 15-point victory there for Princeton um, is nothing to sneeze at. And the Sweet 16 and the... So hoping the best for Princeton um, in, in the next round. Princeton will be taking on number six Creighton in the Sweet 16. This game will be played... Uh, Friday night at 9 p.m., so prime time. If you're in the Northeast, New Jersey, uh, hope you're hope you're watching. And as we move into you know the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, those games are actually at Madison Square Garden this year. They will be played on Thursday night and Saturday. Not sure what time 
the Saturday game will be yet. But thinking about getting tickets, I actually went in 2004 to the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 with a a couple friends when it was played at the Meadowlands, the old stadium when the Nets were the New Jersey Nets, and got to see the, the top four teams in the Eastern bracket play. It was number one, St. Joseph's against number four, Wake Forest, and number two, Oklahoma State versus number three, Pittsburgh. And I'm sure you don't remember to 19 years ago, but Oklahoma State wound up beating St. Joe's in the Elite Eight to go to the Final Four. And I think one of the reasons, thinking of going and and maybe taking my son, you know, the the college sports environment. um, I've been also been to a college bowl game. I think it was back in 2001 or 2002. Went down to New Orleans with a couple friends, saw um, the Sugar Bowl, and that was LSU against Illinois, and that was basically uh, a home game for LSU, and they stomped Illinois. And then the next day, went to see the Saints play, I believe it was the Redskins, so had a nice uh, weekend of not only, you know, it's New Orleans, it's uh, New Year's Eve, it's Southern food, but it's football as well. And again, that environment was just electric. And I think that's just something that's, you know, really cool to see back in 2004 when I went to the sweet to see an elite eight was a, we were able to get tickets. I don't know if it was the Oklahoma state or, or wake forest website box office. And we were able to get tickets for all three games, the two sweet 16 game games and the one elite eight game, very affordable. And again, like I, this was like my third year working. I wasn't making a lot of money. I'm cheap. My friends that I went with are cheap. So no one's going to be paying an exorbitant amount to go see these games. You know, New Jersey is different than Madison Square Garden, but the cheapest that I'm seeing for uh, upper deck seats, if you want to go to all three games, which I don't think I want to, I just want to take, you know, my son to one game is over $500. And that's before you're getting into any fees on, you know, forget Ticketmaster, StubHub, SeatGeek, RazorGate, or whatever, you know, site you're going to. So probably $600 a ticket before you get, you even walk in the door. But if you're planning on going to, you know, all three games, is that really that bad? $200 a ticket for three games? Uh, I think the first game is 6.30 on Thursday. The second game is about 9 or 9.30. And then to be determined for Saturday, I think you can get an individual ticket for maybe 150, 175 or around 200 for whether it's a Sweet 16 or an Elite 8 game. So I've never been to Madison Square Square Garden before. Being a Knicks fan, I mean, granted, there hasn't been a lot to celebrate, you know, being a Knicks fan. But again, to just walk in the door, upper deck is is $200. Uh, again, not It's not an exorbitant amount of money, but I can find, since I'm not a diehard basketball or Knicks fan, other uses for $200. But I think, you know, the college basketball tournament doesn't come around here often. And Madison Square Garden, I would not drive in. I hate driving into New York City, you know, with the burning white hot intensity of a thousand suns. But I think for me, I would drive into Newark, New Jersey, uh, park near Penn Station, take the train in from Newark to New York, which stops right under the garden. So super convenient. So it's just a matter of now, is it the early game on uh, Thursday, which is, I can tell you right now, it is Kansas State at Michigan State. Or if I decide to go to the Saturday game, that would be the winner of Kansas State, Michigan State versus the winner of FAU, Tennessee. So if I go, 
I will let you know in next week's podcast because I will be recording again on Thursday and that will be all plus section stuff. And again, if, I mean, if the 49ers make any additional signings, we will be talking about that. Otherwise going to be talking about Aaron Rodgers lead and the Packers organization, leaving the jets twisting in the wind when we can anticipate a reasonable time for him to get traded. The Cowboys making a couple of big, big trades they're going all in this year. We're going to look at box office for Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Not great. We're going to be talking about um, the Disney Plus show Willow being canceled. I finished the Netflix show 1899. Have some thoughts about that. And we'll be talking either another streaming movie or graphic novel series, whichever I can finish first between now and Thursday. So I will not say which, but between now and then, hope you enjoy your sports. We will be talking again Thursday. Stay happy, healthy, and safe, and we will talk soon. Take care.